This is Aliens and Artists, part two of our conversation with Jeremy Corbell. I'm your host, Stuart Davis. This intelligence seems to have a limitless capacity to modify itself, matching us and meeting us according to the moment, to the individual, even to the age, to our developmental station, whether 10,000 years ago in the Stone Age or forwarding to Renaissance cities yes. or in outer space now. It can immediately modify itself to the conditions. But does that mean that this thing has evolved at all? Because if it has this miraculous constitution, which becomes whatever is needed in any context, I don't know that it has changed. Maybe we have changed. Rapidly. Rapidly, yeah. If I were to play devil's advocate, I would say maybe it's functioning as a developmental driver. Perhaps the manner in which these non-rational or transrational experiences act upon human consciousness is accelerating our conveyance through stations collectively and individually. That remains to be seen. I think there's also a lot to argue against that. All the trauma, manipulation, as you say, the catch and release facets. Right. I mean, but pain doesn't have to be excluded from the learning process. You know, it doesn't all have to be daisies and donuts. You know, it's like, it's okay that suffering and pain is a part, it's actually the highest, most powerful part of the learning process. You know, we should embrace pain, you know, not necessarily the people that apply that pain or the, you know, to your point, I don't know. I don't know. I would like to believe that this is some sort of guiding force that is allowing us and urging us to look beyond the next meal for our place in the universe. And even if it is not doing that, it's our opportunity to choose to do just that. Yes, 100%. I am with you 100%. Everybody says, Everybody says this saying that's like, everything has, has meaning, everything has purpose. And I've always argued, well, no, <laughs> you can find the meaning and purpose in anything. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that it inherently has meaning and purpose, but it is your challenge to find the meaning and purpose. It doesn't matter, chicken or egg, baby, which are you going to do? It's a great view. These arenas, whether we want to call them paranormal or non-ordinary, there's a paradoxical quality to them that might be unique. So one person's experience might be a developmental driver, transformative. They grow into a new identity. Your life demonstrates just such an arc. On the other hand, we see lives destroyed. Yes, as with many things in life, you put two people into the same experience, one of them transforms, the other one is left in rubble. We've seen this thing make relationships, people fall in love because of it, Right. but it's also busted up plenty of families and marriages. I know with the intensity and passion that you have lived your life, you've lived this riddle, and I wonder what advice you would give to people in general, artists in particular, who are embarking on their odyssey now. Young people, teenagers, the young people you saw at the debut of the Bob Lazar film, who are beginning to engage with this phenomena. Perhaps even someone like a deep Prasad 
who's super amazing and intelligent, and we're so glad he's come into the circle. But there's also such a thing as a honeymoon phase that comes sometimes initially. Sure. What's your advice to, let's just call it the next generation of seekers in this regard? Yeah, wow. That's, man, I'm, I wish I had heard someone's answer to this before I jumped in. You know, feet on the ground, hands in the sky, keep your fucking marbles in your head. This is the deal. These things that happen to people, you mentioned Deep. He had a very powerful experience from what I recall reading from him. And he's written me about it before. Look, man, there are things that occur that are very moving. However, the only way to make progress is to be sociable. I am never, never been pointed at and be like, that guy's super sociable. You know, I don't know. I don't think I am. I can communicate, but the idea that you communicate this stuff, that you keep it at, at a level where people will hear what you're saying is so important. You, know, you could report on a billion things when you're doing work like, you know, the work that I'm doing. I could report on a billion things. The way I look at it is if you can't keep your immediate family in harmony, right, you have failed. So my love for my wife, for my animals, for my immediate family, for my close friends, I need to be attentive to that. I don't live on Twitter. If I can do that, then everything else that I'm reaching for, and I want to know, and it's so interesting, and you can get so wrapped up in it, it needs to be maintained in perspective, or these things don't fill your life so it overflows. Mm -hmm. Something people often try to do because of ego and whatnot, I mean, we're all guilty of it, is trying to give more than you have. And the issue is the goal should never be to be the headline, to be just the person that breaks the story, to impose upon other people. This happened to me. You should believe me. There's that old saying, a person convinced beyond their will is a person of the same belief still or whatever it was. That old saying, right? Yeah. Our job is to navigate our own lives and be thoughtful and effective communicators of what we experience so that it can inspire other people to do the same and open and extend and reach and explore. I mean, fuck, we're trying to move out to Mars and the moon now. I mean, it's, that's the idea. But if you got to do it at home first. So for example, my wife is my number one critic, you know, in that she could give a shit about UFOs. All she cares about is I'm there eating dinner, watching bad TV with her, and we're supporting each other in our love and our work together. And that's the fucking goal, man. Yeah. So yeah. when you have these extraordinary experiences or you hear them or you get fixated upon them, reality check. If any of this is to mean anything, you need to be overflowing. You need to have all your shit on lockdown at home. And then you can move out and do that. So the success to my work for me is that I can do this while always walking that razor's edge 
of feeding my immediate life with what it needs to be vibrant, if that makes sense to you. Completely. That's really important, I think, when you have these profound experiences. Don't get lost in them. It's not about you. It's never been about you. These are personal experiences that relate to something much bigger than you. And so it's like, cool, okay, everybody has extraordinary experiences. Every single human. You dig deep enough, every single human on the planet is going to have a story. Yep. But it's just like, don't feel like you're special. Let it get to your head. Reel it in. Reel it in and say, what can I do with this to help? What can I do with this to open? What can I do with this to progress? What can I do with this to move the ball forward? I don't know if that's what you were asking. Yes, that's a beautiful answer. Right to the heart of the question. Okay. I agree, and I wish someone had conveyed that to me when I embarked on this when I was a teenager. Right, right, right. When you're all out of sorts, you had some craziness, you're like, holy fuck, everybody, I had this crazy experience. And you're like, especially if you're an extrovert. And you're like, (laughs) no, seriously, I did. It was like crazy, you know? (laughs) People are like, oh God, I'm never having that guy over for dinner again. No, it's so true. I look back on my life and I see not just one honeymoon period, but multiple. You have your initial sighting. Later, you realize there's another order to it. Blowing your mind in a new way, there's a succession. Do you fear that, from your question, do you fear that the young guns, the ufology, the the people coming into some of these forms that we're talking about, do you fear that like they're going to go off the rails because everything's kind of increased and these things are really prevalent. You can jump on Twitter and and you're, you're fearing that like they might need some guidance because of how profound and how maybe you and I have fucked up, right? Is that what you're worried about? Or? Yeah, I do. I would qualify it in the sense that I think they have a tougher situation than I did. I'm going to be 50 this year. And when I came up, there was not this degree of chaos in the environment. There's so much more distortion. They're coming into an environment that is the only one they've ever known, so they probably adapt fast. But also it's taxing in a way that perhaps our world was not. I mean, I don't know how old you are, but... 43 is what I'm told. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so somewhere along that wider cusp. But my personal motivation behind the question is that I have noticed my life has changed a lot in how I behave. I love all the values that you just laid down. They're so core to why I changed my behaviors. When I was 19 years old and I wanted to see entities or conjure a ghost, no one else was imperiled by my curiosity. And now I have a family and I understand that the intimacy I have with those loved ones means that I need to be sensitive to what my curiosity may expose them to, if that makes sense. Let me read into that a second, because, you know, I'm not, I can't without authorization tell this experience. I just want to ask you, it appears to me, the seeker is the finder and the looker gets looked at. And that's what I've noticed. Yes, exactly. With this stuff. So, so there are implications to that, which I have personally experienced private stuff, but it's like, yeah, I think you got to, if not for the sake of like your immediate nuclear family, I think you need to be, and I don't know much about this. I've never conjured fucking shit. I can't even get the coffee pot to go on at the right time, you know, (laughs) programming it. (laughs) But I understand if I read into what you're saying, and I think it's important, you're saying that 
when you engage in the abnormal, when you engage in these things, this extraordinary stuff, when you're looking at it, when you're exploring it, when you're asking questions out loud and shit, that it has repercussions. And when you become the caretaker for, let's say, a child, right, like you in your situation, then you need to be cognizant of that fact that if any of this is real, let's just put it out there for the skeptic, like if any of this is real, right, then there is a responsibility to how you engage this phenomenon that we're speaking of because it does have very real, as we know, very fucking real impacts on people's life, both negative and positive. Precisely. One thing I would add to augment it a tiny bit is if we imagine S4 or Area 51, no one in those locations would conduct their work without protective measures in place. The buildings, the protocols, the protective infrastructure that grows up around anything that is sensitive. There's an ecosystem that exists to protect it. Yes. The realization that I had later in life was I modified my behavior in that protective sense. I didn't stop seeking. I didn't stop engaging. If anything, my curiosity is more ravenous than ever. But I took up various forms of spiritual protections, daily behaviors that are meant to form a hermetic seal between the work I need to do and that family safety and vitality that you described. That's the jewel. Yeah. So I have to protect that jewel. That's my first job. And then the other work can be done. It's so interesting. Yeah, that that's like what so Robbie Williams, he's the singer um and the performer. Do you know who he is? He's um Oh yes, know him well. So okay, so he's not personally. I, I know his work. Yeah. So he's said to me similar to you, we'll FaceTime this kind of thing and you know, talk with his kids and like he's he's a family man. He went from absolute famous can't walk down the street, stardom. Once he started having kids, this role came over him. And a lot of the experiences that he had that were profound, they stopped. And he wants them to grow up with the ability to to experience those th positive things. A and I bet they'd come back the second he opens that door. I mean, come on, we all, yeah. I think we just know how this works. But yeah, yes. So I'm just reflecting back to you that, I've heard this before and I, I don't have kids, but my, my dogs are my kids, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like, yes, I think there's a sense of responsibility in this life that then says, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to put a helmet on before I do this. <laughs> That's a great analogy. And I think it's the comma before the next question. When we entered into this idea of what would you tell the young kids? This is something I wish someone had told me. I don't know if I would have been able to hear it or integrate it into my life, but I wish I would have heard it. I agree. Since we talked about deep, let's just be clear. Deep Prasad. Hey, man, you're going to be a good voice in, in all of this. Keep your marbles in, man. And not that you're not, but that we, you know, everybody's rooting for you. I think that's what we're saying. <laughs> I mean, to everybody, to everybody, right? Yes, yes, truly. We support you. Yeah. To confirm and celebrate something you had said earlier, now specifically with deep Prasad. I'm super happy to have him on the scene. Anytime a great intelligence, a great spirit comes into the mix, I want them welcomed. I want them protected. Let's form a healthy ecosystem in which all of us can thrive. And I also had detected some hits of that 
honeymoon moment, perhaps. Yeah. From initial things that I had read. I totally understandable. I've lived it. It may be inevitable. Well, you look when you break your first story, right? So like uh, recently, so we're talking about the UFO field, right? So on UFO Twitter, it says, you know, citizen journalism. So you've got Danny Silva and Joe Murga. And, you know, look, I know what it feels like to break your first big story. Yeah. And people are just shitting on them and they're defending it. And it. <laughs> yeah. everybody slow the fuck down. This has been a mystery for a long time. Yes. Working together. We're going to break fucking stories. Right. You got to protect yourself from praise or blame. They're both the same. I mean, that I learned that a yeah. long ass time ago. Yeah. Somebody that's going to praise you real quick, they're going to blame you real quick. So our job as human beings looking at a mystery that is far beyond us is to slow our roll and be patient. So if I had any advice for any, not that I'm in a position to give advice, I mean, maybe I am, but like I've broken some stories. Okay, check it out. Everybody slow your roll. It's both personal and it's also external. And so we just have to move the Rolling Stone gathers no moss, but it doesn't go flying off a cliff. That's the idea. I completely concord with that sentiment. <laughs> I hope that falls on some ears that need it, but yeah, okay. Let me ask you a very simple question. How much does it matter where or what these entities come from? Is there a difference in our condition if they come from a different galaxy versus them being some native part of the Earth's subtle causal ecosystem. Can you speak to that basic polarity? Sure. Yeah. So the theories that are kind of out there and have been out there since, you know, way back, you know, in time is that whatever's interacting with humanity, that clearly it appears to be a non-human intelligence for a variety of reasons we can get into. It appears that way. Okay. Are they extraterrestrial, meaning do they come from other planets, other solar systems? Well, maybe even another galaxy. I don't know. Okay. Are they extra temporal? Are they just some sort of time shift? You know, is it us from the future? I don't know. Is it extra dimensional? I don't even know what that means. I do not know what that means to this day. <laughs> extra dimensional? I don't fucking know what that means. Is, is that chakras? I don't know. So, you know, I'm like, I'm like the worst person to talk about that, but you know, okay. Is it that? Or is this some sort of, it's, it's a thing I'm working on. I call it the clockwork orange theory. It's the techno terrestrials. You know, is this some sort of technology that is perforating the firmament of our consensus reality? Mm. I don't know. But to boil it down, these are what you're talking about. These are the different theories, these layers of transparency that we impose upon all of these things outside of ourselves. Like we're authority figures. It might be fucking something we never thought of. Mm -hmm. And so, how important is it where these intelligences, these beings, these crafts, these, where are they where they're from? They ain't from here, not from consensus reality. So does it really matter? Well, maybe it does. Okay, so if they are from Zeta Reticuli and that's the Greys and they find this saucer and it's powered on element 115 and well, that's fucking important. It's a binary star system and locally they've been able to harvest 115, which has with the right isotopes stabilized and unique properties. Well, that is important to us where they're from mm -hmm. because then all of a sudden we're like, well, where do you get element 115? Why did humanity build its empire on fossil fuels and reactionary 
propulsion systems compared to gravitational propulsion systems. I mean, completely different segue of development of an intelligent being, people from somewhere else. So in that case, it is important. But if these things, these entities, these intelligences, if, if they're from just another, again, I don't know what it means, but another dimension, maybe it's not as important. You know, I, I don't know. Mm. All I know is that it's worthy of our investigation because it defines our place in the cosmos. That old idea that we are made of stardust, does that make you feel isolated? That the universe is cold and expansive and no one could ever get here. That's the old theory. It's like, well, no, I feel connected. I feel connected. And this is something I think Neil deGrasse Tyson, despite my problems with his statements, you know, he talked about this, that there's an interconnectivity because of simply what you're fucking made from. Mm -hmm. So is it important where these things come from? I don't know. In some areas, I would say yes. In other areas, I say, what the fuck does it matter? We're all just trying to learn more about the universe. Think about it this way. I don't know if you've ever tried it, but DMT is a hell of a drug. It is a, the most powerful psychedelic known to humankind. And from what I understand from people that have done DMT is that there is an appearance of some sort of digital matrix of reality, that it is a direct funnel through, as I said before, the firmament of consensus reality. Now, here's my question. If you are a caveman and you smoke DMT, would you recognize the effects of DMT as some sort of digital matrix reality? If you do it now, in this time and age, from what I understand, there's this optical and auditorial and perceptual understanding of this, some sort of digitality of it. So what is the nature of that compound and how do we perceive it? And I think that's what we're experiencing on a mass scale with UFOs and, you know, electricity is magic. Yeah. Germs are spirits until we have the telescope and the microscope. We, we don't know. So I think we're catching up slowly defining the boundaries of this much larger reality. And I think we're totally off, but it's all we get. Yeah. So. To your point, I'm just saying, I don't know. But in some cases, it is important. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it, it inspires me to continue in the spirit of that deep, strange, beautiful stuff and ask an even weirder question. I don't desire a particular response. I'm just curious to posit this to your uniquely experienced consciousness. If we look at the way an individual's consciousness is partitioned, we have waking reality, a dreaming reality, and a deep, dreamless reality. Within every 24-hour cycle, each human being has lived within three distinct ontologies. They all appear completely real. That's just in one individual's daily cycle. Right. If we expand that to something more collective, taking, for instance, the bifurcations, as an incarnated being versus a discarnate being, or the manner in which high strangeness at Skinwalker Ranch seems to operate 
within a fold of reality that we don't have access to. The intelligence has a mobility within these, what, dimensional folds, psychic subtle realms, etheric? We don't know. Is this partition between our ordinary world and the non-ordinary world unalterable? Is there hope that our ordinary reality may integrate with or permeate more coherently their non-ordinary world? They occupy a seemingly privileged position. And I'm wondering if these two disparate realms are like train tracks that are coming together from opposite sides of a continent. If they meet, will the membrane between them bust? Could we somehow function and interact with these entities in their native realm? You've spent so much time bumping up against those membranes. Yeah. Is this something we should even desire? Is it advisable? Is it possible 50,000 years from now that an iteration of evolution we can't begin to imagine yet will emerge? I think it's verifiably true. I think we have evidence of that. Now, now should we strive for that? I mean, sure. Always looking to expand consciousness, but as long as you have your house in order. I mean, if you stop eating, you're dead. It's just real simple. I mean, this was my problem with I always said when I was doing martial arts, like, I'll do seated meditation when I can't move anymore. <laughs> until then, you know, I, I, I was an impatient kid. I mean, I, I, until then, yeah. I'm going to make what I do a meditation. I'm going to physically do the things that need to happen. Mm. Maybe I'm just a resistant fucker, you know, but it's like that was my mentality. And, and it remains that way, right or wrong. So my interpretation of your question is that it's verifiably absolute in my experience that we can gain information from non-regular methods and sources. My wife and I call it bubblegum. You chew it up, it tastes good, you spit it out, no nutritional value, but it was cool at the time. Mm. Don't know what it does for you. Maybe you can blow a bubble, right? Yeah. Take a selfie. So you have these psychic moments. I think a lot of people do. You, you hear people who are not really like into this shit and they're like, wow, when my grandfather died, I fucking knew. And all of a sudden I called and, you know, it was like they knew. So there's information that appears to travel. And I have experienced this. This is crazy. I mean, it travels not like I don't know anything about channeling. I'm not talking about that shit. I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is that I have had factual information that has helped me to achieve certain goals, life or death situations. In fact, not small goals, right? And these, these ideas pop into your consciousness. They come in and you can dismiss them, but there's some you can't dismiss. Most of it is what my wife calls bubblegum. How did you know? I don't fucking know. What good did it do? None. Okay, cool. But there are times when it is important. So it's verifiable to me that there is a way to obtain information that can be very valuable to you. And I don't have a methodology for it. I'm not like, oh, yeah, stand on one foot, shake your head, and rub your tummy twice. I have no idea. Okay, But it happens. And if you pay attention, it happens more and more and more, probably because you're looking at it. right? So yes, I think there is a convergence of this intelligence that seems to have the 
whole chessboard available to them. And then us, and we're playing checkers. But I do think that if we pay attention, that there is a reason and a purpose, or we make that reason and purpose, and that we can acquire certain amounts of information and we can operate off of that, as long as you get it out of your head that it's important that that you're important, you know, it's about you. It's not about you. It's so much bigger than that, man. And so, yes, I think it's important. I think we should. I would hope that that is the dynamic, that we have some sort of teacher in a way, you know, the world is our our teacher, you know, that we're learning from this and expanding upon it. And maybe in 50,000 years, the idea that you can just look at somebody and maybe it's pheromones, maybe it's pheromones and you can transfer information you know, or maybe it's not pheromones, maybe like quarks, it can transfer information instantaneously across time. Let me nail down on this. This is actually really important. You know, people are talking about this all the time, this quantum entanglement. People say these big words and they don't even know, you know, I don't even know what they're talking about. Here's a practical application. We know that information or data can be transmitted across space-time instantaneously faster than the speed of light. It's a five-part binary system. There are five states to a quark. Imagine what we can do with that. Right now, when we turn left on a Mars rover, it takes eight minutes for that signal. Last I heard, at least, it takes eight minutes. So I send the signal, eight minutes later, Mars rover turns left. Well, with quantum computing and the idea of, of quarks determining through their quantum entanglement, we can have a binary communication system which is absolutely encrypted. It is unbreakable. It isn't formed anywhere except for at the point of origin and the point of destination. We're talking about absolute perfect encryption because there is no intermediary and it's instantaneous. So you can turn left on a Mars rover instantaneously with absolute encryption. So as we learn about the fundamental reality, because physicists have been wrong so many fucking times, they don't like admitting it, but they have been. So if we can start to understand the physical principles of the universe we live in and how it's way beyond Newtonian physics, and then we can start to understand how our consciousness may or may not influence that physical principle, which we know it does because of the double slit experiment as an example in quantum physics. Look up a Dr. Quantum on YouTube. He's great. Makes someone like me understand it, right? This idea that our consciousness has physical impact in the world and we're understanding those physical principles. Now, I don't know where spirituality begins and hardcore physical science ends. I have no idea. Seems very similar to me. But that concept that there are verifiable elements to our consensus reality where we can implement these techniques that will kind of better our abilities, that's fucking important. So I don't know if that even touches upon the question you asked, but I do think it is important that we constantly seek new horizons. It does touch on that question, and it's a great framing of it. To follow that thread into a specific example I want to talk with you a bit about Ingo Swan. I feel he's an interesting artist who may exemplify what we're talking about. From my view, it seems at times there's been 
an excessive focus on the objective or material aspects of the phenomena, perhaps to the neglect of the interior subjective aspects. Ultimately, of course, there's a complementarity there. If we consider Ingo Swan as an example of the art, the capacity to project consciousness through remote viewing instantaneously across time and distance to view targets non-locally, and then couple that with his life as an artist. The depictions he created on canvas, here's a painter who figured prominently in government programs. With Ingo Swan as an example, my question is, have we neglected interior technologies? There's been a lot of resources put into reverse engineering craft. Should we have been doing the same thing with an Ingo Swan template of interiors? Maybe we have, and I'm not aware of it. We see inklings of it in Stephen Greer's CE5 program, for instance, using meditation as a signaling system, facilitating interface with non-human entities. So do you feel like there's a balance between the inside technology and the outside technology? Or are we like a weightlifter that's only been doing curls with his left arm for a decade? Could you characterize what you think our situation is in this regard? People are not going to like my answer. It's probably antagonizing, but I think we are in perfect balance because this is where we are. I mean, it's very simple that we, everything is, invention is born out of necessity, as they say. So we can argue with, oh, we should go more left. Or we should go more right. We're here. We're fucking here. That's a miracle. I mean, it's, it's insane. I mean, raise your hand if you should be dead. Okay? So, I mean, it's like, we're here, you know, uh, you know, is it, could it be better? Yeah. Like our healthcare system could be better. Sure. Like everything could be better, but we're fucking here. So look, I don't know Ingo personally. I do know that our military intelligence and, you know, our government in general has been highly interested in the internal as well as the external. And let's clarify for your audience we're talking about Ingo Swan. We're talking about popular culture, men that stare at goats. Uh, my friend, John B. Alexander, who I do know, uh, he was one of the implementers of that program, which was for remote viewing. And people say, oh, it didn't work. But bullshit. It fucking worked. Yeah. So basically, people could remote view you know, numeric patterns, locations of high threat to the United States military. It was uh, altered by name and funding. And the studies go on. Yeah. The whole idea that yeah. that this was not effective, I don't even have time to argue that. So that's what we're talking about is this concept of a non-localized consciousness and being used as a weapon by our United States military. You know, everything can be weaponized, even your curiosity. So, you know, it's like, but it's, it, you know, that is what we're talking about. We're talking about the non-localization of consciousness and the implementation of that to acquire information and data for nefarious or for good purposes. Mm -hmm. So your audience knows that's what we're talking about, I think. Bingo. Okay, great. So basically, yes, I think that we, and I don't think you need to be part of a government program. I think that everybody can, can participate in that study. And I think it is of high value. And as, let's say, a, a Navy admiral that I spoke would, would say to me, it's the derivative technologies that are most beneficial 
to the human experience, not just the initial study. And that's important. Like with DARPA, DARPA is you know one of these defense contractors that will work for some outrageous goal, fully sentient AI being that can answer any question on the planet and be mobilized for warfare. Okay, great. But the derivative technologies that comes from that experiment is what immediately feeds the human experience and tries to hopefully uplift it. So yes, we should pay attention. We should dig deep. We should go into these realms and we should really look at the derivative technologies either personally or on a bigger scale of how these things can can help us to, I'd like to think, to be better humans, but also to thrive as a species, I guess. I think it's an important facet. I wish I'd put that in the question. Being better human beings as individuals, families, as a planetary species, what do we want to be? It leads to the next question. Is it ethical for us to become interplanetary before we have become planetary in a healthy sense? Given our current chaos, upheaval, incoherence, I'm not trying to be unduly negative about Earth. There is a miraculous depth to us that is of great interest to a host of sentient beings in the area. We're very special. I don't want to project our higher or lower selves onto those other beings. But around this question of becoming interplanetary, let's say Elon succeeds, we colonize Mars. Do you think it's fair of us to claim other planets before we've put our house in order here on Earth? Yeah, I mean, other planets going to claim us before we claim them. But, you know, that we, we will fuck up. I mean, we will absolutely fuck up. Just look at any expansion of part of human history. I mean, colonization, as they call it, has not turned out well for a lot of people. So, yeah, it's a problem, but we're going to do it anyway. It's part of the human spirit. We are going to colonize the moon. We are going to colonize Mars. I don't know if that's the right word, but we're, we're going to do that. We're going to fuck up. Is there a control system out there that will help us along the way? I don't know. The point is, I don't know. It's like the whole thing wearing a mask, not wearing a mask with Corona. Like you wear a mask because you care about other people. The mask doesn't really protect you that much. It's more that it, it protects other people. Yeah. So as we explore and we move towards the stars, which we are doing, which we are going to do ethically or non-ethically, yeah, I think we do our best and we are going to fuck up. But there's no stopping it. And I think it's a beautiful thing about the human spirit. Our grasp is always beyond our reach. We always try to do sh the impossible. I mean, this reminds me of Kennedy's speech at Rice University. And we do these things not because they're easy, but because they are hard. I mean, it's like, that's the human spirit, not the American spirit. <laughs> that's the human spirit. And I am so grateful for that because that's probably what got us this far. And again, one last time, we will fuck up. But I think that we learn as we go. I do have faith in humankind. I do. And I think we're going to do our best. And we are going to colonize the moon, for lack of a better term. We are going to colonize Mars. And I think that's cool. And I think a lot more is going to happen. 
And yes, we should do it. We should go. We should do these things. And yes, we should have an ethical review board (laughs) for everything we choose to do in our daily lives. (laughs) Yeah, that's a beautiful answer. It ties in obliquely to another question around a specific facet of disclosure. This amalgam of the black world, special access programs that can't be audited, organizations, be they governmental, privatized, or even a cult in some instances, there's a population of people who've been in that black world cultivating technology for decades now. The people who have kept those secrets. If we were to grant amnesty to anyone who came forward, and if that were to facilitate a whole new age of transparency and a boon for our health, technology, revolutions that might transform humanity, if amnesty would facilitate that, Would you be for it or opposed? Nobody, my daddy, but my daddy. You know what I mean? So it's like I I fundamentally disagree with a government that works for the people, by the people and whatnot, holding information back. But I'll tell you why it's been done. I mean, I've talked to people that have been part of the secret holders, whether I put that out or not. I am sure the reasoning behind it is singular. It's weaponization. Flat out, straight up. It's not that the masses are going to go crazy because of religion and what people can fucking handle it. The reason for the compartmentalization and the embargo on the information about craft, you know, vehicles from un, from other places, and the UFO phenomenon as well, as well as these other topics we're talking about. The whole reason is singularly weaponization. That should be clear to everybody by now. If you've been able to read the notes of what OSAP was formed for, which is the acknowledged one of the acknowledged United States Government Defense Intelligence Agency UFO programs, and there's more, but the acknowledged ones, OSAP and ATIP, which we know about, didn't end in 1969 Project Blue Book. Okay, cool. The whole reason is that the same technologies that you describe. It could be wonderful for the world. That could help the world. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. The same technologies can be destroyers. Look at it very simply. If we consider for a moment that what Bob Lazar described is true about gravity amplification systems, which, by the way, the DIA and the intelligence agencies dealing with this know that these craft, as we observe them, that they have to be gravitational in nature. So when Commander David Fravor saw the tic-tac pinging around, almost like it's a ping-pong ball in an empty glass, bam-bam-bam-bam-bam, right? That technology, if we understand it, which, which everybody thinks we do, we understand the physics of it. We can't duplicate it because of our material science, but we understand it. It's gravitational-based. So if you could apply a focused gravitational force, instantly you have the greatest weapon humanity has ever seen. So this idea that there are secret holders and we can grant them immunity, it doesn't quite work like that in that, A, there's no motivation to get this information out other than individuals saying, I think humans should know, I think people should know the big picture. We're not alone in the universe. Thank you very much. But where do the questions stop? And that's their fear. 
where do the questions stop? Have you seen the new show on television, uh, Unsolved Mysteries, the reboot? Have you seen that one? Yes. Have you seen episode five or episode yes. six or whichever? Okay. So you've got a very clear and defined narrative of multiple abductions by some unknown craft that pick people up in different areas and they didn't know each other. Come to find out, they saw each other on the ship and that kind of thing. So if you tell me, which they have, UFOs are real, where do I go with that information? Are we being tested? Are we being picked up? Can our government not protect our nuclear armament from being shut down by these things? Historic record. Nukes have been shut down. A guy, a friend of mine, Robert Salas, he was in a bunker. Yep. Watched them all go down. Okay. So I believe that the secrecy about the UFO presence, if we isolate it to that, I am convinced that it's because we don't know what to say because of the, the weaponization. So all these beautiful things you said that could happen. Yeah, they could happen. But it's like putting the blueprints for an atom bomb out on Google. And then all of a sudden, you've got a suitcase bomb by some radicalized individual who just decides a good day to blow up New York. So that's the problem. If I am understanding it right, which I believe I do at this point, that's the problem. Yeah. So granting amnesty or not is a moot question because of those extenuating circumstances. That's not the set of circumstances we're in. Another component to that idea is that these entities have disclosed themselves as they have wanted, where they have wanted, when they have wanted, with impunity and freedom since day one. Right. Like at any time, at any time, the truth can be told. The big D disclosure, you know, absolutely yeah. at any time. I like the way you frame it in terms of our human condition. If there were a benefit or an advantage to them changing tact, they would. If we look back, clearly the disparity, the incommensurate power differential between ourselves and these entities was enormous, unbreachable. After generations of black world work, do you feel that disparity has shrunken or closed? Have we obtained some parity? What's the state of the union, so to speak, in human response to these exotic technologies and intelligences? Clearly, we're living in a different world, and, and you know that just by having a dinner party. UFOs are real. They've been acknowledged that they're a craft of unknown origin, again, flying with impunity through our airspace at all times, able to de-weaponize us at any moment in any way they want. And this has been acknowledged if anybody's been listening. So our understanding on a fundamental level has absolutely increased with time. Part of that is the increased frequency and the increased ability to communicate, which we have seen in the last 10 years with Twitter and Instagram and all this stuff. And then part of that is that, okay, shit, we have to admit some of this. I mean, Commander David Fravor came out. Are we going to call him not an American hero? Are we going to call bullshit on him like we have other pilots in past that we feel bad about because these are our contemporaries. The idea that we our understanding has evolved is spot on. It has. 
we are living in a different world where UFOs are real, that there are craft that are technologically more advanced within our airspace. That's about it, but we've gotten there. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we get to the point where we can confirm as a government and as a people, we can confirm to the world that there has been reverse engineering attempts be, being made. This is a new topic. New York Times is on the beat. Let's see if they get past the editorial and legal review. But this concept that we have actual materials, we have craft, and that we have been reverse engineering, we have been trying, and that we have derivative technologies based upon these craft, that's a big deal. So the big answer is yes, we have much more knowledge. Now, again, the architects of the secrecy are the visitors themselves. They wanted to reveal themselves. They could reveal themselves. It's very simple, but they ain't doing that. So what do we know? Yeah, we're living in a different world now. What do we know? What's the next question, you know, for us with, with this phenomenon? How optimistic are you when you envision the world in 500 years? Given these circumstances and all that has transpired, what do you sense when you imagine Earth 500 years from now? It depends on what happens to us. If our attention can be off on a global scale, the next meal, the next race war, the next virus, if we can think about the higher order of our existence in the universe, like you ain't exploring space if you're fighting a virus. I mean, you are, but you aren't. So the idea that What's going to happen in 500 years? Where are we going to be? I mean, I'm, I'm an optimistic person by nature. I'd, I'd like to think we're going to be far along. I know a lot more today than I knew just yesterday. So I think on a global scale, that's what's going to happen. However, it really depends on what happens and how we react to it. Are our primal needs covered? We got to deal with this race thing. We got to deal with it now. You know, not to minimize it by, by saying this race thing. We have to deal with racism. That's clear. Mm -hmm. That's fucking clear because the world is on fire again. This ain't the 50s. Yeah. And the world's on fire again. What the fuck? Yep. Right? So it's like we need to address things head on so that we can then move past these illusionary boundaries of humanity so we can eradicate the actual boundaries that we have implemented in humanity based upon these illusionary boundaries of separation, of race. I'm talking about racism as an example. So we need to look at it, face it, confront it, rip down those fucking walls, and then, okay, what can we focus on next? And there's a lot of things like that. You know, a lot of people in the world are not fed properly. I'm not to get all apocalyptic, but I'm just saying that if our fundamental existence isn't at peace, how can we reach for the stars properly? So that's just the, that's just what's up. Whether people like that or not like that, I don't care. It's just, that's what's up. How do we do that? 500 years? I don't know. Are there going to be more viruses? Are there going to be more idiot fucking racists? I don't know. I thought we had made some progress. I think we have the tools now. I think our progress is we have the tools to address these things now. Whether we use them, well, that's up to us on an individual basis. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your generosity of time. This has been really beautiful. Is there anything else that you want people to be aware of? I'm the easiest person on, on the planet to find. I 
try to have a healthy balance between like responding to, you know, tweets and then, you know, living my life. But, you know, I engage. I like humans. I actually, one of those people that really likes human beings. So anybody can reach me in one way or another somehow, you know, just email, tweet. And I like to engage individuals who are like me, who are curious. You know, if, if you're looking to prove your own point, go talk to a wall. I am interested in what's unknown. I'm not interested in trying to prove theories that try to diminish reality. So I guess if anybody wants to reach out, I always look for new stories, new sources, a way to move the ball forward. I'm here, man. This is what I'm doing. I'm here. I'm eager. I'm curious. All I ask is that other people come from the same place of curiosity and patience and patience. I'm an individual person. I can't spread myself too thin. I've got a family to take care of. So yeah, I would say that just everybody should be highly activated right now. It's an important time in, in human history. There's so much going on. And if we can be kindness is gangster, if you can be fucking kind to each other and we can kind of look at these things together, that's my hope. So I'm very easy to contact. I hope you enjoyed the films and whatnot. And yes, there's a lot coming out. I have not been idle. So let's let's see what happens. But I think there's going to be some sonic fucking booms. For more on Jeremy Corbell, go to extraordinarybeliefs.com. His films such as Bob Lazar, Patient 19, and Hunt for the Skinwalker can be found on Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon. One of the most remarkable achievements in creativity are the masterpieces created by Cro-Magnon craftsmen between 30,000 and 10,000 years ago in southwestern France and the Cantabrian region of Spain. For some 800 generations, a mysterious civilization occupied the region. They painted and carved myriad caves with sublime renderings of ibex, mammoths, bison, reindeer, and horses. In total, 72 caverns were arrayed with more than 2,000 animals in stunning realism. But that's not the half of it. They also depicted beings and aerial craft that are dead ringers for our modern likeness of aliens and flying saucers. They did this again and again in locations that were often hundreds of kilometers apart. The late UFO researcher Amy Michelle, an associate of Jacques Vallée, went to many of these locations in person and documented them in detail. An article he wrote on this ostensible cosmic iconography, infigured by Cro-Magnon artists, can be found in our show notes. It includes charts and visuals for each of the saucer craft, as well as other inexplicable glyphs. Seeing them assembled in such fashion packs a wallop. Some of the saucers have figuring which suggests motion. Others possibly lights. Some are shown in the presence of beings with almond-shaped heads and large vertical eyes. For me personally, it's hard to see anything but what is in front of my face. Flying saucers. With a morphology that could easily be plucked from a present-day MUFON conference. 
Michelle notes that these objects were afforded their own sections in the caves. They were set apart, emphasized as a category unto themselves. Clearly, their brilliant creators assigned great significance to them. Also conspicuous is the representational nature of the non-flying saucer works. The appearance of the artwork corresponded to its subjects. They made bison look like bison. Mammoths were totally mammothy. Horses, of course, were horseful. And they made flying saucers look just like flying saucers. In each of these cases, they were depicting something important from their reality. 15,000 years ago, these people cataloged in depth and dimension a world they shared with great wild animals, and also objects that any five-year-old today would identify as flying saucers. I often ruminate on these ancient masters. It is easy to feel how these works of art arose from necessity, urgency. They were no mere ornamentation. They mediated experiences that were at once visceral and celestial. Before art was hijacked by modes of entertainment that siphon off human interiors, back in the day art was braided perfectly with spirituality and cosmology. I'm no retro-romantic, but these Paleolithic caverns were the first citadels, chambers in which ingenious souls plumbed the koans of existence. Henry Corbin said that the imaginal realm is a subtle world which exists in a field between matter and mind. That juxtaposition found extraordinary purchase on these canvases. Imagine being in that cave 12,000 years ago. Cool stone walls, lit by flickering fire, humid air. Behold bison, mammoth, and yes, saucer-shaped craft, billowing in amber effulgence. What bewildering genius conjured the means to signify these timeless gifts? For most of history, we did not depict or portray. Thanks to these artists who held sustained interest in saucer-shaped craft, a supernova poured forth in their wake. Art, music, language, architecture. With these caverns, I am the inheritor of true treasures. They tell me art will once again reunite with the real, the sacred, the baffling. Enchanted Patreon, sensual patrons, passionate StuartDavis.com, love Patreon sex patrons, fleshly StuartDavis.com, enlightenment Patreon, carnal patrons, naked Patreon, nude, stuartdavis.com, peace, Patreon, fulfillment, patrons, insight, stuartdavis.com, manhood, Patreon, womanliness, patrons, erotic, stuartdavis.com, heavy petting, Patreon, non-duality, patron, chasm, spasm, orgasm, stuartdavis.com.
Shout down, shout down.